Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Uh, I want to just start off just by thanking the Bass family for, for sharing that video, just because it can, it can feel awkward or nervous to share what's really going on in your life, but, but because they were willing to share their story, it gave uh, us the opportunity to invite everybody else who's struggling with those kind of things uh, to, to come and, and partake as well. And so um, I, just, I just hope that's a message for everybody here is that when you're struggling uh, and you're open about it, it invites other people to say, you know what, I'm struggling too. Um, and then it invites other people in to experience the freedom that Jesus has for them as well. So can we say thank you to the Bass family one more time for, for being willing to, to share? That's awesome. Um, and then one other person I want to just say, give a big shout out to before I get started is, is Mike, Pastor Mike. Um, and just some, one, one thing I want to share is uh, you know, in November, d- December, whenever it was that we um, discovered that Brandon was no longer going to be on our staff, um, we, had that, we had a meeting with the elders to figure out the next course of action. And, and this was the decision we came to that Mike and I would be uh, kind of going back and forth, back and forth on messages. And um, after that meeting, he, we walked out and he pulled me aside and just said, Taylor, I want you to know something. This has, this has just made me even more on fire for Christ. It's, it's given me a bigger and deeper passion for this church and a bigger burden for this church. And I am so excited uh, to, to, to call myself a staff member at this church. And so um, I just want you guys to know he has been working so hard uh, and his schedule has filled up twice as much. Uh, he's put on so many more hats that Brandon used to wear that now he's wearing and, and he's doing so much. So um, if you see him today, just make sure you say, hey, thanks for what you're doing because he's doing so many behind the scenes things that nobody sees uh, to make these Sunday mornings possible. Um, he's going to see people in the hospitals. He's doing a lot of things that um, weren't originally in his job description. So uh, just make sure you guys say thank you to Mike at some point today. Um, my passage today is on the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Um, so it's known as the Gospels and the Book of Acts. And just like Mike talked about last week with that foam finger story, that there's a big foam finger of the Old Testament that's it's pointing to Jesus. And if you were to look at, take out Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts and move forward, this side of the Bible would also be pointing backwards. So you got two fingers that are actually pointing to this section of scripture. This is what, this is the meat and potatoes of, uh, of the Bible. This is, this is the, the whole point of why the Bible exists is because Jesus came to earth and he offers us eternity with him in heaven. He died on the cross for our sins. And so, I mean, even if you're not a Christian, you've heard that story at least. Um, But I want to spend a little bit of time starting out just by kind of giving a a brief run through of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and maybe answering a couple questions that some people might have um, about the, the, the Gospels. So, the word gospel, it, it, it's talking about the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The word gospel, all it means is good news, good tidings. It's just saying that this is a story of good news, and it's the story about Jesus uh, dying on the cross for our sins and inviting us into heaven. That's what the gospels are. And so maybe one question some people in this room, or maybe you know somebody who has this question, would be, if this is God's book, if God wrote this Bible, 
why are there four books? Like, why would he write four versions of the gospel? Um, why, why, would he have a, why would he choose to do four, four books? Um, and that's what the, the gospels are. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four different accounts of the story of Jesus. And so the best way I could describe why I believe God chose to give us four books rather than just one book is this. And so back in the 1600s, uh, well, actually, sorry. Now today we have uh, King Charles, was it the third? Does anybody know? King Charles the third. Um, back in the 1600s, we had King Charles the first was the king of England at the time. And uh, he at one point made this decision. He and his party made a decision that they wanted a sculpture or a bust made of King Charles the first. Um, and so they, they made this decision because back in that time, what the, the picture that they portrayed of, of who Charles really was was going to be what the world saw. So if they saw this, this guy who was a little more rigid and a little more strong and a little more brave, people might actually fear him a little bit more. Um, and so that was the image that they wanted to portray to the world. And that's a picture of him. Just, uh, so they made this decision that they wanted to find the best artist in the world, the best person to make a sculpture in the world that could make this sculpture to make him look great and mighty. And they found him, and he lived in the city of Rome. Um, and so they reach out to this guy, and they say, hey, will you do this sculpture? And he said, I would be willing to do the sculpture, but there's no way in the world I'm coming to England to do it. Like, I, not even for a king. I won't even come there for a king. And so they're kind of torn on figuring out how, what to do, because they want to use this guy to make the sculpture the bust, but they, they don't know how to, how to make the whole process work. So they, what their decision to do is, is they find a local artist um, who's a very good artist, a very good painter, who made this painting right here. And what he chose to do was make three different angles to three different pictures of Charles. And so then that, the person who did the, the sculpture in Rome was able to look at these three pictures and make this. So he, he took those three pictures together and made one. And I, th I think the reason I'm sharing that story is because I believe that God chose to use four different angles to show us the full picture of who he is. He chose to use four different perspectives so that we could get the whole picture of who Jesus is and why he came to earth. And so we get four different books that, that it's the same story, but they have their own spin on it. And so the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew writes the book of Matthew, and his purpose of writing it is to tell the Jews that Jesus is the Lord of the Jewish people. And so the, the Jews were people in that time who they, they were devout followers of the Old Testament. They saw the laws that God had said, you should do this, you should do this. And they were, they were by the book. They said, we do it this way, we do this, we do this, we do this. And so a lot of times in the book of Matthew, he'll uh, reference like, he'll say, Jesus did this. And the reason he did that was to fulfill this prophecy. So we kind of see like, if, and maybe if you're in this room and you're more of a by the books, I do it the same way every time. The book of Matthew is maybe a, a good book for you to try to read. The book of Mark is the next book of the Gospels. And uh, this is Mark telling the Gentiles that he is Lord of, Jesus is Lord of the Gentiles. 
And the Gentiles were people who were not by the books. In fact, a lot of the Gentiles would describe their life as, I need a miracle in order to, I need God to do a miracle in my life in order for, uh, for my life to, to, to be able to move forward. Something's been done to me. I've made a mistake and I need a miracle. And that's the, that's the, the picture of, that's the angle of Jesus that we see in the book of Mark is that Jesus is a mighty worker and he puts an emphasis on doing miracles. For people in need of a miracle, Jesus is the miracle maker. In the book of Luke, uh, Luke kind of puts a bow on all of it. He says, Jesus isn't just the Lord of the Jews. He's not just the Lord of the Gentiles. He's the Lord and the Savior of the world. He's a great healer. He's a great teacher. He's all of it. He's not just one or the other. He's all of it. And then the book of John, it kind of, it's, it's talking about Jesus, the mystery, and, and the book of John even starts out pretty confusing. It starts out by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Nothing was made in the world that was not made by the word. And then it goes on in verse 14, and it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, you know, maybe you can kind of pick up like the word is Jesus and this and that, but it's still very confusing. Uh, and so if you were to read the book of John, you, you're going to maybe have more questions at the end of it than when you started it. But you will understand one thing. You will understand that there's something special about Jesus. He's not like any other person who's ever lived on this earth. If you read the book of John, that's what you're going to discover. There's something special about him. There's something different about him. Um, in fact, that's, that's really a lot of the text of John is where um, we learn a lot more about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to send my spirit. Again, it's confusing, but, but that's what the, John, the book of John is, is it's talking about the mysticism and the beauty and the magnificence of Jesus. Um, and I want to address maybe two more questions that if you're in this room and you're kind of struggling to, you have doubts about the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have doubts about the gospel. I've got two kind of the, the, maybe the top two areas that are maybe stumbling blocks for people who are, are not Christians, and it's because of the character of Jesus. And maybe you, you're not, but you know somebody who is not a Christian because they maybe struggle to believe in Jesus. And so maybe those, those top two um, doubts that people might have, number one, the, the, maybe the most frequent one I've heard is, aren't there contradictions in the New Testament? Aren't there, aren't there contradictions in the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And I would say, yes, there are. Um, and in one, in one passage, uh, in, in one of the Gospels, um, in the empty tomb, there's an angel in the empty tomb. And another writer said, doesn't make any remark of there being an angel at the tomb, which you would feel like he probably would have said that. Um, there's another time where Jesus was born, and one of the disciples mentions that after Jesus was born, the family went to this city and then this city. And then another writer says, no, 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 it's, it was backwards. It was this city, then this city. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of minor things that they say that one person says this, one person says that. But I think the, the, the thing to remember is that the gospel is very clear that, yes, Jesus came to earth. Yes, Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. Nobody contradicts that. No, none of the writers d dispute that. Um, so the, the story is the same, even though there might be a few minor differences in their stories. And I think that maybe if you're in this room and, and, and you, that feels like a stumbling block for you, I want to give you one more piece, uh, one more thing to be thinking about. 
um, there was a, a famous, uh, what's it called, uh, person who, interrogator. There was a famous interrogator, um, somebody who, you know, if, there, if there's somebody who suspected a murder or something, this, per, this guy talks to you and gets you to confess. He gets a confession out of you. And what, he's, what, he's, what interrogators are really good at is hearing a story and maybe hearing stories from different people and seeing, does this story add up? And being able to tell, is this, is this logical? And so his name was J. Warner Wallace. Um, I've got a book if, if, uh, of his if you're interested in um, learning more about this topic. But what he did was he took the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he just asked the question, does this, if, if these four people were telling me their account of what they witnessed, would I see this as a credible account or would I see this as something that they just made up? And uh, there's a quote in the book. It's not his quote. It's somebody else's quote, but it, it's a, kind of an encapsulation of his findings is what it says. If four witnesses would appear before a judge to give an account of a certain event, and each, each one of the four would tell exactly the same story in the exact same words, the judge would probably conclude not that their testimony was exceptionally valuable. He, he would say, it's, I'm not here saying your testimony is valuable. Instead, the only event which was certain beyond a doubt was that they had met up and agreed to tell the same story. That actually the fact that they would have all came together and said the exact same thing would actually probably show they, they made it up and planned to make it up. And he says, and when we read the four gospels, is, it, is, it, is that not exactly what we find? The four men tell the same story, but each in their own way. And I think that's it, what he's saying is it's actually more likely that they were not making things up because their stories don't always align. Uh, that when people's stories align, it's probably because they met up in advance and came up with a story to tell. And lastly, um, the, another, another doubt that maybe somebody has about the Gospels, which is something I've spent a lot of time researching and, and, and digging into, is the question, well, weren't the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John written decades after Jesus died? Like, is it credible to say, okay, Jesus died, and then decades later, these guys wrote an account of, of, of Jesus? And the answer is yes. These books, these four books were written decades after Jesus died. Um, some say around 70 AD, and Jesus died in about 30 AD, right around 30. So this is about 40 years' time that has passed, and then they're writing their account. And so some people ask the question, is this even a credible source anymore? And, and because nowadays, 40 years' time would probably be a lot of, a lot of gap. Um, but I uh, just want to give one specific example. Has anybody ever heard of Alexander the Great? Just heard of him. Raise your hands. Yeah, most people in this room have heard of Alexander the Great. He was one of the greatest strategists in the world. He conquered parts of Macedonia, parts of Egypt, parts of Asia. Part, in, in a very short period of time, he did a lot of things. He was a very great strategist, a very great war leader. Um, and every piece of evidence we have to support that Alexander the Great existed comes 200 years after he lived. 200 years after he passed away, we have evidence to support. This is the first writings that are credible that we have to support that Alexander the Great even existed. 
So 40 years really isn't that much for a historian. If you look at people who have their doctorate in, in, as, a, as a biblical historian or even a not biblical historian, they would tell you that that time gap means nothing. It has no barring on, on credibility of the authorship. And in, and in fact, it actually maybe even offers more credibility because it was only written 40 years after. So when Matthew and Mark and Luke and John wrote their books, there would have still been people alive who knew Jesus and would have been able to say, no, 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 that story wasn't true. So it's actually more credible because these people were writing at a time when people actually knew Jesus and had actually witnessed Jesus. And so um, the point I'm trying to make is if you've got questions about God, he wants you to ask him. He wants you to come to him with those questions. He doesn't want you to just say, well, this is, this is a problem, so I'm not believing it. Dive in and, and, and actually look and see, is this actually a real stumbling block for, my, for having a relationship with God? Because I believe the more you dive in, the more you're going to be impressed with how credible the Bible actually is. Um, and so I'm going to spend the rest of my time actually kind of breaking down the, the, the four Gospels and then the book of Acts. Um, but right before, before I do that, I want to share one more story. It's the story of Julius Caesar. I believe this was uh, just a little bit before Jesus uh, was born, at like 60 BC or so. Um, Julius Caesar was um, having, he, he was in a battle uh, he, with a guy named Pharnaces the second. Sorry, it's a really weird name. Pharnaces the second. Um, and so Pharnaces the second had this master plan to secretly um, kill Caesar. And uh, he, had, he had this great plan, but Julius Caesar had somebody on the inside of Pharnaces uh, inner circle. And so Caesar actually knew this attack was going to come. And Caesar launched a counterattack. And he destroyed Pharnaces, destroyed his whole family, and destroyed the whole army just like that in a, in a day. It was a very, very short victory. And Julius Caesar wrote a letter to one of his allies. And it's a quote that we all know. Maybe we don't know it in its original language. But he just wrote three words. He said, veni, vidi, visi. And what that means is, I came, I saw, I conquered. Amen. He wrote those, he wrote those words, veni, vidi, visi. I came, I saw, I conquered. And so those are going to be my three points about the story of Jesus. Because Although the Bible is a long book to read, it is not a long battle that Jesus has with Satan. In fact, in, in, in one moment, Jesus mentions, I saw Satan fall like lightning. That's how quick the battle is. That it would not be this long six, nine, 12 episode saga of Star Wars, whatever Star Wars is. The episode would be one second. That's how quick the battle is. He came, he saw, he conquered. And that's the three points I want to make today. Point number one is Jesus came to earth. Jesus came to earth. And so um, Jesus all, not, didn't just come to earth, but he wanted to make it evident that he was coming to earth for a specific mission. And so uh, I'm going to be talking about this in a couple of weeks, but in the Old Testament, when things are done on the, in the physical in the physical world. In the New Testament, things are done in the spiritual world. And so I'll explain kind of what I mean by that because kind of, it sounds kind of confusing. Um, but if you were to look at the story of Moses, um, Moses was, 
Moses uh, was the savior of the Israelites. God sent Moses to rescue the Israelite people out of slavery. And before Moses came, it was 400 years that the Israelites were slaves. The Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. And then God sent Moses. Moses was born as a baby. And um, in the same way, so that he was rescuing a physical group of people. Uh, In the same way, Jesus, the, the, the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi. And then 400 years of silence happened between God and humankind, just like 400 years of slavery for the Israelites. So while Moses was rescuing a group of Israelites, Jesus was rescuing the world from their sin. Moses was rescuing people physically out of slavery. Jesus was rescuing us spiritually out of slavery. When something happens in the physical in the Old Testament, it's, it's happening in the spiritual in the New Testament. And, uh, both Moses and Jesus, when they were born, there were kings that were trying to kill them. Um, so Pharaoh... Uh, Knew that um, he, he knew that God had sent the deliverer of the Israelites, and so he he ordered every two-year-old child or younger to be murdered. And then in the New Testament, King Herod knew that there was the the king of the world, the savior of the world, who was coming to earth, and he was trying to find baby Jesus so he could kill baby Jesus as well. And the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus didn't want it to look like an accident that he came to earth. He came under the exact same circumstances as God has lined up in in the Old Testament. Came in the exact same circumstances. Moses was the rescuer of the Israelites. Jesus is the rescuer of the world. Moses and Joshua brought the Israelites into the promised land, the physical promised land. Jesus is trying to bring each one of us into the spiritual promised land. What happens in the physical in the Old Testament happens in the spiritual in the New Testament. And so Jesus did not want it to look like an accident that he came to earth. In fact, the Bible says this in Philippians. It says, though he was God, he didn't consider, he didn't think of equality with God as something to hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And uh, I think we, most of us know that story where um, there was a census that needed to be taken, that was being taken. Um, so Mary and Joseph had to travel a very long journey. Um, eight month, 28 day pregnant Mary had to ride a donkey slash walk for a hundred miles or however far it was. Imagine if the ladies in this room have had a baby, I can't imagine how much pain that would be. But in a miraculous story, Jesus is born, the the star of David, or the star of David shines and it it is an indication that the Savior is to come. There's There's so many instances where we can see Old Testament prophecy just in the very beginning shows up in the birth of Jesus. So Jesus, one, came to earth, but he didn't just come to earth, he came for a mission. So point number two is he saw us, humankind, in our own depravity. He saw us when we were at our worst moment. He's seen everybody in this room, whether it's a past event or a future event, he's seen us in the worst possible moment of our life. He knows what's coming our way. He knows all of it, and he cares about us so much. And this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it shows 
how much God loves us. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, when, when Jesus saw the crowd that was following him, he felt deep concern. Some, passage, some versions say deep compassion for, for the people because they were treated poorly and were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And this is just Jesus looking out into a crowd and saying, I see you guys. I see you. I know what you're going through and I see you. God sees everybody in this room. He sees you individually. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows your struggles and he cares about you so much. There's another story in the book of John uh, when, when there's this woman who is known for being, always, being clinging to human relationships. She's addicted to, to feeling loved from somebody and, and we don't know why. We don't know if she didn't have a father growing up and, and that's why she needs love from somebody else. We don't know if she'd experienced it. We don't know her story. But what we do know is that the world saw her as somebody who's addicted to following after men for relationships, doing whatever it takes to find love from a man. And her, her, her name, we know her today, is the woman at the well. And so she was so ashamed of how people viewed her that she went to the, the source of water, the, the local well, but she did it at a time when nobody else would, would have any com conversation with her because she was so ashamed of how people viewed her. And Jesus loved her so much. And we're going to get a little picture of that because Jesus starts out with this conversation with her and he, he already knows her and he already has so much love for her. And he, he wants to take, he wants to have a real conversation with her. And he starts out by um, just, just talking to her. And she's like, well, your, your people and my people don't really get along. Like, we shouldn't be even conversing. And Jesus wasn't okay with that. Um, Jesus is not okay with his people not talking to him. And so then he starts telling her a little bit about herself, a little bit of her story, and a little bit of um, prophecy. And she says, I, I guess I interpret that you're a prophet. Can you tell me this, this, and this, like things to come? And Jesus was, he's basically what's happening is she's having this superficial, surface level conversation with Jesus. And, and Jesus is not okay with superficial, surface level conversations. And maybe for some of us in this room, that's where our, our conversation life with Jesus ends where we pray for dinner. We say, God, thank you so much for food. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my blessings. Amen. And that's the only conversation you ever have with God. And God is not okay with that. And he's not okay with it in the story of this girl. And he, he goes even deeper with this girl. He's like, I'm not okay with a superficial conversation. So he says this. He told her, go and call your husband and come back because I have a message for you. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. What Jesus is saying here is, look, there's nothing that you're, you're doing right now that's surprising me. Like if I were to confess my sins to God right now, he would not look, up, look at me and say, oh, in me, I had no idea this was going on in your life. I had no idea. He's not surprised. He knows what's going on. He knows your heart. He knows what's going on in your life. And what he wants more than anything in the world is for you to go grab your husband and come back. Go grab the addiction and come back to him. 
because he, he wants you to carry it in with him. He's not okay with just a superficial conversation. He wants the heart of the problem. He wants your finances. He wants every part of your life. And he, he says, give it to me because I can handle it. I can take the pain you're going through. I have no husband. He said, I know. But grab the person you're living with and come to me. Because I want you guys. And the Bible says that because she had that encounter with Jesus, she left the water that she was carrying, that she was coming to get, the whole purpose she was going to the well. She left it, went back to her city, preached about Jesus, and the whole city was converted. When you bring what's really going on in your life, when you bring it to God, it has the ability to transform not just your life, but bring freedom to so many other people's lives. So Jesus came to earth, he saw us in our worst moment, and number three, he conquered the enemy that we could not defeat. Revelation 1.18 says, I am the living one. This is Jesus talking. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and to hell. Jesus is standing there and saying, you don't have to be a slave to this addiction, to this struggle anymore. You don't have to be a slave to your mindset. You don't have to be a slave to the depression anymore. You don't have to be a slave to your past. I know somebody did something to you, but you don't have to be a slave to that anymore. I've got your key. I can unlock your cell. I can unlock the, the things that are holding you captive. And so our response, this is what our response needs to be. We need to come. We need to see, and we need to be a conqueror. Number one, we, need, we can come close and look at him. Like I was talking about in the beginning with specifically the actual gospels, that if you have a doubt, if you have a struggle, you can go to God and talk to him about it. There was a time where Jesus had recently risen from the dead. It was just right after Jesus rose from the dead. And there was one of the disciples who was, he did not believe that Jesus, he's like, there's no way Jesus actually rose. You guys are making this up. In fact, the only way I'll believe is if Jesus himself comes up to me and lets me put my hand in, his, in his, the holes of his arm and in the holes of his side when he, where he was uh, pierced on the cross. And Jesus shows up and he says, then he says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. I love that Jesus, I'm sure Jesus didn't have to have the nails scars and the, the side scar when he rose, but he chose to. Because every time he looks at it, he remembers every single one of us and saying, man, I, I, get, I know what I died for. And Jesus invites Thomas. He says, this is what you're, if you're doubting this, come here and, and, and touch my hands, touch my side. Whatever you're doubting, you can come to me and I'll give you a confidence. I'll give you a hope. Jesus even says in Matthew 11, come to me if you're weary and burdened and I will give you a real rest. We can come to Jesus today. Number two, we can see. He came, he saw. We can see that he is really for us. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That it's, it, it takes more than just seeing. We have to actually taste it. We have to actually do it. You can't just look at something and say, oh, that's good. You have to taste it and say, man, that tastes good. The whole point I'm trying to say is we can't just read the Bible and say, oh, man, God is good. God wants us to apply what we read in the scriptures, that when we do what the Bible says, our life is going to be transformed. 
And that's what the, that's what the book of Acts is about. It's about people who said yes to following Jesus. They not only heard his words, but they practiced what they heard. They, they didn't just write it down, they did it. In fact, point number three is we can also become more than a conqueror. We can become more than a conqueror. Acts chapter four, and I love this passage, verse 13, it says, and this is talking about Peter and John, two of the disciples. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that Peter and John were unschooled, ordinary men. You don't have to be special to be in the kingdom of God. You don't have to be special to make a difference in God's kingdom. Peter and John were unschooled and ordinary. In fact, my mentor, the person two weeks ago, I held that Bible up and said, my mentor, Mark Grimm, gave me this book. He's just a local farmer, ordinary guy, but he knows God's word better than anybody I've ever met. And then check this out. It says, talking about the people who were looking at Peter and John, they were astonished that they t- and, they, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. When, when you are with Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're schooled, unschooled, ordinary, or extraordinary. Doesn't matter how tall you are. Doesn't matter anything about you. If you are with Jesus, people are gonna notice. People are gonna notice. This right here is the notes I've taken from reading the Bible. And as you can see, there's probably more notes that I've taken than are words in the Bible. And that's because God is not just a guy who wrote a book and left us. He's got something special to say to us each and every single day. He's got something new for you every single day. He's got a new word for you. He's got a new hope for you, a new joy for you every day. In fact, a few chapters later in Acts chapter 17, Another group of people commented on, on the disciples and said, these men have turned the world upside down. That's what it looks like when you're passionately in love with Jesus and you're following him and you say, God, you can have everything. I'm giving you my life. We can become more than conquerors with Jesus. Romans chapter eight, verse 37 through 39 says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and check this out, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If you've got Jesus, there's nothing that can separate you from him. There's no problem that you guys can't face together. In fact, Mr. Rogers, is famous, one of his famous quotes is, if it's, men- if it's mentionable, it's manageable. If you've got God. If you've got God, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. And the last verse I wanna share with you, this is what it looks like when you just say, God, you can have everything. This is a a guy in the book of Acts named Paul. And so the early book of Acts is is mostly written about how the actual Christian church started. So we're here at a Christian church. The early part of Acts is written about telling you the story of how the church got started. The last part is telling you about this one man, for the most part, who was on fire and gave everything to God, and his name was Paul. He first, he started out his life named Saul. He hated Christians. He killed Christians. He had a conversion. He gave his life to Jesus, and he changed his name to Paul. And this is what the Bible says about somebody who's on fire for God like crazy. It says that some Jews from, came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. So what's going on is Paul's preaching the gospel to this group of people, preaching that Jesus came, died, and, and rose again. And there's a group of people who don't like that. 
the people from Antioch and Iconium. And it says, so they stoned Paul and dragged him outside of the city, thinking that he was dead. They stoned him to death, basically. And then the Bible says that the disciples gathered around him. They were probably mourning the loss of Paul. And out of nowhere, he gets up and he goes right back into the city where they tried to kill him. It makes no sense, but if your heart is on fire for God, there's nothing in the world, no power, no angel, no demon, no present, no future, no nothing that can separate you from the love of God and the power that comes with following Jesus. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much that you came and you saw and you conquered and God, it wasn't even a real fight. It's not a fair fight. God, there's nothing in this world. If it's mentionable, it's manageable. God, we can get through anything if we have you, if we do it with you. And so God, I pray that we can understand that you came for each one of us. You saw us in our worst and most desperate moment. God, you conquered the enemies that we can't defeat. God, you're a miracle worker. You're king of the Jews. You're king of the Gentiles. You're, you're the savior of the world. You're the savior of my life and everybody in this room. And God, I pray that our response is to come and see you, taste and see that you're good, and live a life on fire for you and become more than a conqueror. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.